Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. cell phone. Go ahead and flip there, but I want to jump right in. And and I've got a statement that I think is so true that if we understand this statement in its entirety, then it will change your life. The statement goes as this, any area of my life that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus is open to spiritual defeat and deception. Any area of my life that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus is open to spiritual defeat and deception. This could be money, sex, our words, our relationships, our jobs, our household, any area of our life that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus is open to spiritual defeat and deception. Should I say it one more time just to make sure you heard it? I got it. <laughs> I'm going to say it for the person in the back that didn't and wasn't brave enough to say they didn't hear it. Any area, all right, anything, any area of my life that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus is open to spiritual defeat and deception. We're in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. The Word of God says this As Jesus started on his way, A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, he declared, All of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, this is an interesting conversation, because if I were to uh, translate this into my words, what I see unpacking here in this story is that a man approaches Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, oh, well, you know the law, right? Obey this, obey that. And and the man's like, yes, I've, I've done all of these things. But for the man, there was something inside of him. That was saying, I've obeyed all of the law, I've checked all of the boxes, I've done all of the good things that a a Christian boy can do, I've gone to church, I've got perfect attendance to Sunday school, but I still feel like there's something missing in my life. I, I just don't have that assurance 
to know that I know that I know that I know. I, I just feel like there's, there's something missing. And so he comes to Jesus because Jesus is always the answer. Can I get an amen? All right, I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you grew up in Sunday school and the teacher asked a question and you didn't know the answer, just shout Jesus because at some point it's going to be correct. And so he goes to Jesus looking for the answer. And I love the Bible because it doesn't just teach us who God is. It doesn't just give us information, but it, it really reveals to us the character of God. Because when he asks Jesus these questions, verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, if we read what Jesus is about to say to the man, it might not sound all that loving. But it's important to know that Jesus said this out of love. Did you know the most loving thing you can do for somebody is to tell them the truth? Society and culture might tell us otherwise. It's to just accept them as they are. It's to look the other way and let it happen. No, that's not real love. Real love is looking somebody in the eyes and telling them the truth. And Jesus gives him an answer that he was not necessarily ready for. He said, uh, young man, the one thing that you're lacking is you're not a giver. Go sell your possessions and give them away. And we read that the man, his face fell and he walked away sad because he had great wealth. Well, here's the truth. He didn't have great wealth. Great wealth had him. The one thing that he thought he was lacking is the very thing that was it getting in the way, the very thing that was interrupting him. He didn't have many possessions. His many possessions owned him. You see, his master was not God. It was not Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. It was his money and possessions. Remember the statement we started with this morning. Any area of my life that is not submitted to the lordship of Jesus is open to spiritual defeat and deception. What Jesus was telling this man is until this area of your life, your money and your finances is submitted to me, you will always feel disconnected from me. Man, it's quiet because we're talking about money in church. But I'm just saying, this is a series called You Asked For It, and we have some questions, quite a few about money, managing money and tithing Here's what's interesting is the Bible says in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus was getting at. If you can't trust God financially, there will always be a door of your heart that is closed off to the influence, power, and wisdom of God. Always. And, and, and so I just want to clear the air because I know some people are probably thinking it. And I know we got some first time guests in the house. So. Don't, don't listen to today's message and allow it to create feelings and guilt and shame because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to raise money. All right, but I, I do want to challenge you with this. Is if you listen to this message and you, you're ready to shoot the messenger, I want to challenge you to go obey this message somewhere else because it's scripture. And it will open up doors to blessing and prosperity unlike anything else. So if you don't want to do it here, if you don't like me bringing this message, go to Crosswalk and obey the message there. Go to the community church, obey the message there. Find a church because it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And I'm telling you, all I believe in the message of Scripture so much that I would tell you to follow it and obey it somewhere else if you don't like 
the messenger here. This isn't about raising money. This is about obeying the word of God. So our question of the day is, what does the Bible say about money and tithing? I've got some statistics for you, all right? And in case you're wondering why we're talking about this in church, the Bible is packed with over 2,000 scriptures about money and tithing and possessions. Did you know that's actually twice as many verses about money than there are verses about faith and prayer combined? Yeah, whoa. But it's okay if we talk about faith and prayer in church, right? But, but don't talk about my money. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught on dealt with money and possessions. Nearly 25%, one-fourth of the words that Jesus spoke in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship, managing finances. One out of ten verses in the Gospels deal with money. And here's why I believe that the Bible talks about money so frequently. is because when it comes to money, we will either worship our wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We're either going to worship the things we have or we're going to use the things we have to worship the God who gave it to us to begin with. So I just want to teach you a little bit. This word tithe, somebody, somebody asked a question. They said, what does that word tithe mean? You, you, you mentioned it in the announcement videos. What does it mean? So here's my definition, the easiest way I can explain what the tithe is. The tithe is the first 10% of our income given back to God for the building of his house and the expanding of his kingdom. This act of obedience will directly benefit and bless your life in more than one way. Tithe, it's simply a Bible word. It means 10 or, or 10% or, or 10 of something. And so God is asking us to trust him with our tithe. But, but look at this again because it's really important. It says the first 10%. And, and that's really important. And so I just want to paint a picture for you this morning. And I thought about using this with 100s, but I didn't want, no, just kidding, all right? <laughs> so I've got 10 $5 bills here. So I just want to show you what is not a tithe, all right? So I get my paycheck, and the first of the month has come, and, and I need to get my kids some new shoes, all right? Because it's a track season. They need some new spikes, so I'm going to use 10% to do that. Uh, i got to get from point A to point B, right? So what do you put in your car? Gas and with, uh, I'm not even going to say gas probably costs more than that, but I'll, I'll put a little bit of gas right there. And then, you know, I'm the protector and the provider of my house, so I've got to pay mortgage or, or pay the rent or else we might end up on the street. And, and I'm a good husband, all right? So i got to take my wife out to a nice dinner, probably Applebee's or McDonald's because there's nothing else around here. <laughs> and then uh, I, I'm a little selfish, all right, so I'm going to go play a few rounds of golf. It's 2023, y'all. I need Wi-Fi. Got to pay that Wi-Fi bill or else everything in my life will fall apart. I, it's the new year, new year, new me. All right, so I got to pay that gym, gym membership that I'm never going to use because I can't do push-ups or pull-ups on my own, but I need a, a membership there. And uh, let's see here. Oh, the car breaks up, man. Got to fix that car because I can't get anywhere without it. And then, man, my favorite time of the week is when I go to Dodge and I give to my favorite church, St. Arbuck's. Because I don't know how to make coffee at home, so you know I gotta go to Starbucks. Some of y'all missed that, but it's alright. And then I'm looking at my finances, and it's almost the end of the month, and I'm going, man, I got 10% left over. Well, I, 
I'm a God-fearing man, so I'm going to take this to the church. I'm going to give to the church. This wasn't a tithe. This was a tip. Oh, I, I, I was fine this month, so I'm going to take my tip to the church because, man, God, your service was so good. You were so kind to me. You asked me if I wanted any more to drink. You checked on my table all throughout the meal. So I'm going to give you a nice tip, Jesus. Thanks for providing for me. And, and what's interesting about this is your tax record doesn't know when it was given. It looks religious. It looks like you're trusting God with your finances. But it was never a tithe. It was simply just a tip. You see, when we tithe... And when God is calling us to give our first 10% to him, what we're actually doing is we're saying, God, I'm trusting that you can do more with 90% than I could do with 100% on my own. And that's why it's important that it's our first 10%. Because even though when it's the tip, it looks religious, it's not a step of faith. Because what happens when the month comes and the tip isn't even there. I don't have to give because I don't have anything left. No, no, that's not. God's saying, bring your first 10% to me because that's taking a step of faith. And now we're saying, God, I'm trusting that with the 90% that's left, you're going to get me through. You're going to show me how to steward this with wisdom so I don't just wasted on foolish things and I can actually provide for my family and pay my bills and still have a little bit to enjoy the life that I've been called to live. So this morning what I want to do is I want to unpack for you just four reasons why I personally choose to tithe. And, and, and I believe it's scripture. I know it's scripture. I know it's biblical. So we're going to open God's word too. But I was never always a giver, okay? I, I have great parents. I love my mom and dad. But, but giving and generosity and giving through the church wasn't really a part of our, our practice as a family growing up. So I never had it modeled for me. All right, I'm going to tell you, just so I can hopefully clear the air here, of any shame or guilt, how awkward it was for me when I took my first job at a church. <laughs> and I was a youth pastor. And I've been working there about, I don't know, five, six months. And I get the call that every youth pastor does not want. Hey, the senior pastor wants to meet you. And you start, you start thinking, man, what did I teach at youth group last week? Did I say anything that wasn't good? What's going on here? And I go in, and, and my palms are sweaty, and I'm sitting there. Y'all, I'm like 19 years old, okay? So I, I jumped right into youth ministry at a young age. And I'm like, what's going on? And he looks at me, and, and he opens the word, and he reads me this story. And I said, what does this have to do with anything? And he said, Michael, I brought you in here because I want to talk to you about something that we believe here at a church is a spiritual discipline that's called tithing. And uh, as a member of our staff, we want to hold our staff to a higher standard because the Bible says that that's true. And uh, so our, our treasurer came and told me that, that you haven't tithed to the church in the last six months that you've been working here. What's going on? Do we need to pay you more? What, what are your finances? And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. It was awkward, all right? But, but he explained to me in a way that I'd never heard before. 
And he told me why he chose to tithe. And, and that it wasn't just because he tithed because he was on staff. It's not just something that a pastor does or a youth pastor does. But it's actually something that all followers of Jesus are called to do. Because it's an act of faith. And it releases and unleashes spiritual blessings in your life that you never see possible. And can I tell you, from that moment on, I always gave my time. And it didn't become, it, it started out as like, a, oh, I got a tithe so the pastor doesn't come, come after me anymore. But what I realized is it, it became a joy of my life. That I take my first 10% to Jesus and I say, Lord, thank you. This all was yours to begin with. I'm going to trust you with 10 and I'm going to trust you to get me through with the 90%. And I'm just telling y'all, it changed my life, so that's why I want to talk about it today. Number one, the number one reason why I personally choose to tie this, because Jesus tells us to. You know, and I, I'm just saying, like, when my mom tells me to do something, like, you better do it, because it's mom. When my dad tells me to do something, you better do it, because he knows where the belt is. But, like, if Jesus is telling me to do something, y'all, I'm just saying it, it's probably important. So we're in Matthew 23, verse 23. The Bible says, words of Jesus, Woe upon you Pharisees and you other religious leaders, you hypocrites! For you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but you ignore the more important things, justice and mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. Now, isn't that interesting? Here, Jesus is telling them that you're tithing even the, the littlest mint leaf in your garden. You're, you're taking the 10% and you're giving it to me. But you're still a hypocrite. Why? Because there's so much more to giving than just the gift. But the heart of the giver is what matters. And he says, yes, you're tithing. You're doing the, the act. You're, you're obeying me here. But what you're doing is you're using it as an excuse to ignore the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith. And, and what God, what Jesus is saying is he's going, y'all are missing the point. God is not a debt collector coming at the beginning of every month to take your 10%. And when you pay that 10%, you're now allowed to go live your life however you want doing whatever you want because so be it, I paid God as 10% and now I'm set free to go do whatever I want. That's not what tithing is. You're not paying God off just to leave you alone so you can go do what you want. And here's why that's so important is because tithing is not a debt I owe, but a seed that I sow. And when we think of tithing as we're paying God some, some debt that we owe him, our heart's not even in the right place. It's not some act of self-righteousness to say, I gave to the church, so now I can go do what I want. Or this thought that's religious, I gave to the church, so now I can tell the church how to spend that money. Whew. Air's a little thick in here. Y'all, this isn't some public corporation where when you buy stock in it, you get to vote. You're, you're sowing seeds. You're, you're giving back to God what was already his. Tithing is not a, a debt you owe. It's a seed you sow. And the Bible tells us that we love. Why? Because he first loved us. Well, I think this 
is so true with giving as well. We give, why? Because God first gave us. And when I trust God with that first 10%, what I'm doing is I'm reminding myself that even the remaining 90% I still have is still his. It's still under his lordship. It's still under his authority. And, and Jesus says, you guys are tithing. And he goes, yes, you should tithe. But don't ignore all the more important things. Y'all, tithing is not the most important thing. It's just a small thing. The more important things of justice, mercy, and faith. That's why the Pharisees were so often called hypocrites is because they did what looked right on the outside that looked religious, but their hearts were impure and so hard towards other people. And Jesus said, I've come to set you free from that. I've come to soften your heart. I've come to love you in a way that you've never been loved before. Jesus told us to tithe. It's personally why I choose to do it. The second reason why I choose to tithe, I'm just telling y'all why I do it, it, is this everything belongs to God. I tithe because I, I do. I believe everything belongs to God. In 1 Chronicles 29, we, we see this interaction, and, and King David, he's getting ready to receive the first miracle offering. So he's in charge, he's the king, he's getting ready to receive the first tithe from the people of Israel. And, and it's a very interesting moment because right here in history, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, really what you would call the church, at that time it was called the Tabernacle of David, where people would gather for church, for worship, for corporate worship, it was actually kept in a tent. So it was kind of like this mobile place, it was almost as if it was on rented property and and David is approaching God, and he's saying, God, I want to use some of this offering. I, I want to use it to build you a beautiful house of worship. Because I'm the king, and I'm living in this fancy, elaborate temple. Yet when I go to worship you, I'm, I'm just in a tent. Like, I, I feel like you deserve more, God. And so we, we jump into this, this prayer and this conversation that David is having with God in 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 13, it says, Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. For we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And, come on, say these back last five words with me. It all belongs to you. David understood this. And what's interesting, if you're a parent in the room, you understand this even if you don't think you do. Because when your birthday comes around and you unwrap your gifts that your kids got you, and it says, we love you, Dad. Happy birthday. And there's a, a new golf club in the box or some golf balls or a new gun or some ammunition or whatever it is. Let's be honest here. You probably give your wife a look and go, how much do these cost? <laughs> Why? Your kids didn't buy it with their money. Whose money did they use? Yours. 
Like, I, I'm just saying it. It's kind of like, you, you do Christmas. You know, I have some Christmas presents from crew this year. Like, oh, how amazing. But I bought them. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we, we laugh about it, but, but this should be our approach with God. So often we hold back, giving back to God because this is my money. I worked hard to earn this money. My blood, sweat, and tears went into this, so it's mine. It all belongs to Him. So when we take back to God what was already His to begin with, we're putting it all into Perspective, but this American ideology, this idea that culture would tell us bye, 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 bye. Like, I mean, I'm just being honest, guys. It's so crazy now. We have commercials that tell us how much something costs, and then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we can get you on a credit limit so you can actually pay for this. Buy now, pay later. If that ain't deception from the enemy, why do you get to deserve something now and then you pay for it late? No, it's not how it works. But we fall into this trap because American consumerism has tricked us. But this quote from Billy Graham still holds true to this day. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. And when we understand, like King David did, that we're foreigners in a land that all belongs to God and that our days on earth are like a shadow, we no longer try to accumulate and hoard and gather all of these possessions to say that we have them or to have this fat bank account. Because when we take our last breath, none of it's going to matter. You can't take it with you. You can try. Good luck, but I'm sure your son or daughter, when you're in that casket, they're going to find a way to make sure it don't get in the grave with you. Here's what I'm trying to say. When I tithe, I remind myself that everything I have is a blessing from God, and I show God that I recognize he is my source. I love that the Old Testament and the Gospels are so intertwined. All throughout the Old Testament, we see picture being painted of who Jesus will be and what God's like and it's amazing how interconnected the whole word of God is and, and I just want to say something real quick these aren't words of man they might have been painted by man but this book the Bible is the living active sharper than a double-edged sword word of God it is the only book on this earth that will read you while you're reading it and it was sent to us as a love letter to transform your life in Genesis chapter 2, God begins to show us this concept of tithing very early on in the Bible. And some of you, you know this story so well, but you've never thought of it this way. So I'm hoping this might blow your mind. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay? So who's that man? Adam. God took Adam, put him in the garden to do what? To work it and keep it. Not to own it. It's still God's garden. But Adam is being placed in it. To work it and keep it. And then the Lord God commanded the man. Saying you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. 
God is showing Adam who has dominion and authority over the possession of the garden. How? Adam, everything in the garden you can have, but that one tree, it's off limits. And we know this to be true because when we're in our house that we own, there's not an area of my house that is off limits to me. If I want to go in the bedroom, I can go in the bedroom. If I want to go in the bathroom, I can go in the bathroom. If I want to go in the laundry room and help my wife do laundry, then I go in there. I can go anywhere because it's my house. But when I have guests come over, there's areas of my house that are off limits. When my kids grow up and crew starts to run around, there's areas of my house that are going to be off limits to him. It's not his house. It's my house. And so God is teaching Adam this, this principle right from the beginning. Adam, this isn't your garden. This is my garden. I, I've given you the blessing to steward it and to manage it. But don't forget, that tree is off limits. Because this is my house. This is my garden. All of this belongs to me. And here's what God is saying in Genesis 2. And Adam, not, not that I own all of it, and this isn't just show, show of force, but what I want you to see is you actually don't need that tree. Because I've given you everything else in the garden, and you've got plenty to provide for you. You've got plenty to fulfill you, and you've got plenty to satisfy you. I've put plenty of provision around you, so you don't even need that tree. Where does this come from? A tree, right? It's paper. It, it, this, this story kind of sounds a little bit like, hey, give me that first 10%. Why? Well, it all belongs to me. Okay, I get that, God. Son, daughter, you don't even need that tree because I've already given you plenty of provision to get you through where I'm taking you. Right from the beginning of the scripture, we begin to see the, the purpose and the reason behind the tithe. It all belongs to God, right? And he's saying, hey, you don't even need that because there's plenty of provision here. But the same issue, the same sin, the same struggle that Adam and Eve faced with, oh, but that tree's off limits, but it's so enticing. It looks like, I don't know what it is in our human nature, but when you tell a child no, automatically that becomes their very one purpose to do something. But let's be honest, we treat God the same way. Hey, that 10%'s off limits. But we find every way to work around it and to justify without actually Doing it, And what's interesting is when we do understand that it all belongs to God and we submit that first 10% to him, trusting him, that we don't need it, we're going to give it back to him. We're, we're now submitting the remaining 90% to his authority, to his lordship, and to his obedience. So, well, well, what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? Well, the tithe is your first 10%. This 90% is now submitted to God. So if Holy Spirit asks you to give an offering one Sunday, guess what? You're going to do it because you're submitted to God. 
If Holy Spirit guides you to give some money to the homeless person on the street corner, guess what? You're going to give some money to God. But in America, we say, oh, well, that's how I'm going to do my giving, is I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to give to the homeless. No, no, no. Don't, don't take from God what's his. But be ready and obedient to give above and beyond your tithe. Why? Because you can never outgive God. And when all 100% is submitted to him, Holy Spirit is going to lead you, he's going to direct you, and he's going to help you manage and, and steward the rest of your finances to lead not just to a good life, but the word says to an abundant life. All right, I want to keep going because I don't want to miss this. Number three, I, guys, I'm not trying to raise money. I'm just telling you all why I tithe, all right? Number three, tithing connects me to something bigger than myself. This might be one of my favorite reasons why I give. Tithing connects me to something bigger than myself. I've looked at surveys from, from church organizations, but also secular organizations, and there is, number one, the overarching answer by a mile of the number one thing that people want to experience in life is to be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's why we see so many movements starting. That's why you see all these rallies going on and all these marches. And Like, I don't know if you've ever listened to some of these interviews in the, the big cities when they have, uh, like, a march going on or something. And there's all these young people out there. And the, the interviewer will go ask people, what are you marching for? I don't know. There's just people here, and I want to be a part. That's so stupid. We, it's in our human that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And can I tell you something? There's no greater way to do that than to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and when we give, when we tithe, we are connecting ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. In Philippians 4, this is Apostle Paul speaking. He says, it was good of you to give in my trial. Can somebody say amen? Because I believe it's good when we give. Do you? Paul said, it was good of you to give in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So what is Paul saying? He, he's saying thank you. Because when I was called to ministry, you guys were the ones that partnered with me. You guys were the ones that obeyed God with your tithe and you gave to me. And then he continues on in verse 16. This is where I want to focus. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Why is this so important? Because culturally, you have to understand that in this time period, people did not travel. Many people were actually born in a house and they died in the very same house. Like they didn't even move houses. They just stayed in the same spot. Let alone most of it, they never even left the city they grew up in. And y'all, I'm just saying, Mineola might look a little bit like this. Some of y'all born, raised, going to die right here in Mineola. But you've probably left Mineola at some point for vacation. You've gone to Kansas City for a cheapskate. You've gone down to Texas. You've visited family here for a, a service, or you've done that. You've, you've probably traveled to some extent. In the world today, because of technology, you can get anywhere in the world in 24 hours. 
That's how easy it is for us to travel. So to understand Paul's point here, we have to realize the context of the time period that people did not travel. So when Paul's making the statement, even in Thessalonica, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help once again. So what is Paul telling them? Even though you never left your home, even though you never left your city because you gave and because you tithed, you're in Thessalonica. You traveled there. You physically didn't travel there, but your gift traveled there. And guess what? There's people in Thessalonica now that know about the hope of a man named Jesus. Why? Because you gave. Here's where I'm trying to get at. Here's how tithing connects you to something bigger than yourself. Because your tithe will travel places you cannot. Like right here, right now. How many of y'all have been to Iran? Okay. If you've given through 7 a.m. church, you've been to Iran. There were 27,000 people in Iran two weeks ago that gave their life to Jesus because of your generosity. You were in Iran. Has anyone ever been to uh, Africa? We got one. Okay. Well, if you've given through 7 a.m. church, you've been to Africa. Because we support a missionary named Tim Garrett who spent a lot of time in Africa. And can I tell you something? He's led tens, if not hundreds of people to a man named Jesus Christ into a relationship with him. And their eternity is now separated from everybody else. And they get to experience the fullness of life right here on earth. And they get to spend eternity in the presence of their Heavenly Father because of your generosity. Amen. Your tithe is traveling places you will not. Have any of you been to Croatia? But you've been to Croatia if you've given through 7 a.m. church because we support some people in Croatia that are doing outreach ministry. And just last week, they led several people to a man named Jesus. They said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he changed my life. Then they gave their life to Jesus. Now they're going to church in Croatia. And the church is expanding. Why? Because your tithe will travel places you cannot. Y'all, I'm just saying, if you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, Think about tithing, and what did I say at the beginning? If you don't like the messenger, go somewhere else and do it. Because you will connect yourself to something so much farther than what you want. And I know there might be a cynic in the room that's already thinking, and you haven't been listening, and you're thinking, the church wants my money. Gosh dang it, I don't want your money, but I want to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Money is a tool to make it happen. There are people in this world that don't even know the man named Jesus. And he's changed my life. And I want them to know who he is. This is an ambition. This isn't a desire to build a big church or to be a well-known preacher and to do all of these things. This is the very assignment that we've been given as followers of Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Thank you. I'm glad one person believed in me this morning. And what I love about Paul, and I want you to hear this too, verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Paul's not interested in gaining money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
Two weeks ago, I was on a, a Zoom call, and I got a chance to preach the gospel into 187 countries. We had 27,000 people just in the country of Iran give their life to Jesus. And towards the end of that message, I shared something that I felt led to share. And I said, if you're listening to this call right now, I want you to know there's a church in Mineola, Kansas called 7IM Church. And because of the generosity of that church family, that's the only reason why I'm here today. If you give through this church, you get the credit for that. I'm not interested in going into these places and building up a platform and getting a following and getting credit for myself. No, no, no. I'm just a vessel. But because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness to God, your tithe is going to travel places you cannot. And Paul understood the assignment. He said, it's not for my credit, it's not for my wealth, it's not for my prosperity that you give, but you give because it's going to increase your credit. Y'all just think about it for a moment. I, I don't know everything about heaven, I don't know all the details, but could you just imagine for a moment meeting somebody in heaven you've never met before. They come up to you. They say, Sharon Weddle. You don't know me. I, I actually live in Rwanda. But I want you to know that, that I met a man named Tim Garrett. And, and Tim Garrett led me to the Lord. And, and I got to know Tim Garrett. And then I realized that Tim Garrett was actually being supported by churches in America. And Tim Garrett told me about this church from where he used to live in, in Mineola, Kansas, called 7IM Church. And Sharon, I know that that's where you went, and I know that you were a faithful giver. And I, want you, I just want you to hear me say thank you for giving. Because you sowed seeds into a situation. You sowed seeds into a soil that you would never see with your eyes. But I am the fruit of the seeds that you sow. Your tithe is going to travel places you cannot. The last point, and I want to end with this today. The reason why I give. I'm just telling y'all why I tithe. <clears throat> Tithing is an invitation for God to bless my finances. Tithing is an invitation for God to bless my finances. And if it wasn't awkward enough in the room this morning, I know some people are already getting nervous again. Is he about to preach that prosperity gospel? Name it and claim it. We gonna see Pastor Michael flying out of here in his own private jet after service today. What is it? Hang on a second. When I read these words in the gospel, There's nothing in it that tells me it's the poverty gospel. Like, I mean, I'm just being honest, guys. I'm not pro-poverty. Neither are you. Because if you were, you would sell your house, you'd sell your car, and you'd go find a place on the street and call it home. But poverty, when I read the gospels, is actually never good. Oh, well, pastor, the Bible says blessed are the poor. No, it says blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, well, pastor, the Bible says money is the root of... No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all... I, when I read the gospel, it actually tells 
me as a follower of Jesus that I'm supposed to step out of the comfort of my own home and help those that are in need and help those who are living in poverty. It's telling me that money is actually a tool that I'm called to use to help people overcome not the blessing of poverty, but the curse of poverty. We actually have a command to help others. Here's why. Because poverty-stricken areas lead to the highest rates of addiction, the highest rates of a lack of education, the highest number of broken families. Poverty is not a blessing. But there's this little entity called the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm not interested in knocking Catholics, okay? So don't come at me. But for a long time, they've been teaching this teaching that the more you suffer and the poorer you are, the holier you are. And I'm here to say that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God doesn't call you to be poor. God doesn't call you to suffer in that way. He calls us to live a holy and an abundant life. And if you've ever been to the Vatican, I question whether or not those Catholics even understand their own teaching. Because it doesn't look that poor. But we've allowed this mindset to infiltrate churches. And every time a pastor gets up and starts preaching on this word prosperity. Or starts talking about money or what it means to be blessed. We have an issue with it. Yo, I'm just saying the Bible tells me that I am more blessed to give than to receive. It tells me that if I'm a believer who calls upon the name of Jesus, then I will be blessed. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so they would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. This is one of the most famous passages in all of the scriptures in regards to tithing, so I wanted to bring it in at the end. Verse 8, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room This is one of the only times in all of Scripture where the Lord says, test me. Every other time he says, do not test me. But when it comes to control and managing our finances, he says, test me in this. But I want to clarify that if you're not tithing 10%, if, if you're not currently giving, that you're not under a curse. But what the Bible is saying is that if, if you don't trust God with your, your finances, if you don't trust God with your first 10%, it's like living with a curse. Why? Because you're not experiencing the fullness of the blessing. Here's the easiest way for me to explain this. Have you ever been hurt by somebody and you chose not to forgive them? You're not cursed because you didn't forgive them. 
but you are living under what feels like a curse. Why? Because that person is now occupying more room in your brain and in your heart than they ever deserve. They're now making you question whether or not you can go out in public at this time because you might run into them. They're now making you wonder, oh, I don't know if I should go to church because that person's there and you're still harboring some unforgiveness in your heart. Unforgiveness is not a curse alone, but it's like a curse. Because when you forgive and you set yourself free from the chains, you're now walking in the blessing of forgiveness. So when you don't give, you're not cursed, but you're going to be under what feels like a curse. And when you begin to give, you're going to experience what it means to give God control, not just of the first 10%, but of all of your finances. And when we give God that ability and we invite him into this area of our life, look at the promise in verse 10. See that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. Y'all, I'm just saying the church doesn't want your money. Do you want to know who wants your money? It's this little company called Apple. Hang on, hang on. We'll go to a cell phone store and drop $1,400 on an iPhone without blinking. But we show up to church and the preacher preaches about money and we're done. Y'all, Apple makes $19 billion a quarter. They want your money and guess what? They're getting it. I'm not saying I have Apple products. I love Apple, okay? But it's a tool. So I want to close with this verse. I told you three times I'm going to close, but y'all, I'm just saying, we're getting there. Just, just so you know, when a pastor says he's going to close or he's going to end, give him about 30 more minutes and then he'll finally be done. <laughs> Hebrews 7, verse 8. I, I just feel like the author of Hebrews captures this so well, and I, I really... My prayer in today's message, if you don't hear anything else, tune in right now. Because I've been there, I've sat in churches, I've listened to, to the tithing message, and, and I've left, honestly, sometimes with kind of a, a distaste in my heart about how things were communicated or whatever, but I, I'm going to ask the church to hold me accountable to this, because I truly believe it's God's word, and the way that we say things, you know, our words have power, Right? And, and so I just want to pack this. Hebrews 7, 8, it says, In the one case, tithes are received by mere mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. All right? The Michael translation. You might be giving your tithe to a man. But your tithe is being received by a man named Jesus. So here's the mindset shift I want us to make. Tithing is not giving to the church. It is giving through the church to give back to God what was his to begin with. 
So, so this is where I want to ask for accountability because if you ever hear me say, hey, thanks for your generosity. Thanks for giving to 7 a.m. church. No, correct me. Pastor, I'm not giving to 7 a.m. church. I'm giving through 7 a.m. church. I'm actually giving to God. Back to him. What was already his to begin with. Above a tithe, the greatest thing that you can give back to God that was already his to begin with is your heart. And the heart of the giver matters more than the gift that is given. We see that all throughout the Gospels. A woman comes and gives what little she has. Somebody else comes and gives this magnificent gift and the woman is blessed. Why? Because her heart was in the right spot. So this morning I want to close in prayer, but I want to give you an opportunity. Not to pull out the offering plates and say, all right, let's give a gift this morning. No, no, no. Because I don't want you to feel like you have to give out of obligation. I want you to give because you feel like it's your call as a follower of Jesus to give. To give back to God what was already His. But I do want to give an invitation for you to give your heart to Jesus. So if everyone would close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Jesus doesn't tell us we have to clean ourselves up to come to him. He just says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So if there's anyone in this room this morning or anyone online watching and joining us, and you would be honest this morning to say, well, Pastor, I'm not quite there to give my money to him to the church or, or to give money to God. I'm not quite sure what all that's about, but uh, I'm interested in knowing what it looks to give my life to Jesus. What does that look like? I'd like to start there. Well, the Bible says when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that you shall be saved. Not just fire insurance for eternity to get out of hell and to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus in heaven. No, that's not, that's not what it's all about. But it's about receiving an opportunity to step into a relationship with the man named Jesus right now. To experience the fullness of life that he's promised you. But it begins by giving him your life. So if that's you this morning, have that conversation with your Heavenly Father. Jesus, I give my life to you. I need forgiveness for the sin in my life, and I know you can provide that. I know you already gave your life for me, so here I am giving my life to you. Will you be Lord of my life for all of my life? Have that conversation with him right now. But Lord, I pray right now that as we open your word and as we talk through one of the most talked about topics in all of the New Testament, that we would walk out of here different than when we came in, that we would begin to see that a tithe is not giving to the church, but it's simply giving through the church back to you what you already gave us. And God, I thank you for the blessings for the generosity, for the love, for the forgiveness, for the provision that you give each and every one of us every day that we take for granted. That we have a place to gather, that we have a home to return to, and that we live in a country that is seemingly so blessed. Let us not take that for granted. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name all of God's children said. Amen. Amen.